morning, everybody. We are Psalm 118, which is page 616. This is a monster psalm, huge psalm. Let me read it to us, and please do follow along. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That was the first song we sang this morning. Let Israel say, say it with me, church, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, let those who fear the Lord say, when hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Isn't that a, that's a verse. What can, more me, more, what can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is best to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. We are today concluding the series we've been doing the last few weeks from the Psalms called God of Refuge. We felt the Lord leading us this year in terms of our theme for the year to think about how God is a refuge for us. And we started the year looking at that by looking at the Psalms. That's coming to a conclusion today. But of course, we want this to be the theme for the whole year. This is something we keep reminding ourselves about and keep coming back to the, the truth that God is our refuge. What we need is a, a liturgy for life that reminds us of that day by day. A, a liturgy is a pattern. It's a way of doing things which both reflects and ingrains what we believe and what we value. That's what a liturgy does. So if you wake up, you might have a morning liturgy. You wake up, you have a coffee, and you instantly start scrolling through Instagram and TikTok. That is your daily liturgy, which will shape how you look at the world. What we need are liturgies that shape us for good. We need liturgies that ingrain in us a confidence that God is our refuge. 
And this psalm starts and finishes the same, the first verse and the last verse are the same. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That opening and closing verse of this psalm give us a liturgy for life. That we give thanks. This is what Christians do. We give thanks to God. We come to God with gratitude. We give thanks to God for every evidence of common grace. All the just the blessings of life, the good things of life, the fact that we're here today, the fact that we've got breath in our bodies, clothes on our back, food in our bellies, friends we can talk to, those things we give thanks to God for, just the blessings of everyday life, and we give thanks to God for saving grace, that he's reached down into us, made himself known to us, rescued us, brought us into relationship with him. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We need to constantly remind ourselves of the goodness of God. When we see God as good, that changes how we look at everything. When we see God as good, that gives us a whole basis for understanding what beauty and truth and meaning really are and where beauty, truth and meaning are really to be found. When we see that God is good, his love endures forever. All the time, whatever happens, God is love. This needs to be a liturgy for us, something that we are speaking to ourselves day by day because we need to know the goodness, the enduring love of God on the days when things are going well and on the days when things are going badly. We need to have this ingrained in us that we can always say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. We need our lives shaped by these things. We need a liturgy for it. And this is a liturgical psalm. Actually, these Psalms together, Psalm 113 through to Psalm 118, these, these psalms together are what are known as the Egyptian Halal. And these would have been recited during the Passover by the people of Israel. They were, they were recited in memory of what God had done when he had led his people out of slavery in Egypt into freedom. So these, these psalms taken together, Psalm 113 through to Psalm 118, are Passover psalms. They formed part of the Passover liturgy that the people would say them each year to remind themselves about what God had done. They, they gave the people a pattern of living based on the remembrance of what God had done for them when he'd rescued them from slavery. Now, we can read Psalm 118 simply for the personal encouragement it gives. When you're in a tight spot, verse 5, when hard-pressed, I call to the Lord. If you're feeling hard-pressed in a tight spot, you can turn to the Lord and find encouragement through this psalm. But the way that we're really going to understand this psalm and really going to benefit from it is when we see that it is primarily about Jesus. People of Israel would recite this psalm as part of the Passover liturgy. This is what God did for us. He rescued us from slavery in Egypt. But we Christians now say this psalm in light of the greater deliverance we now have in Christ. This is a, a psalm which needs to form part of our liturgy, an expression of remembering what Jesus has done for us. And the fact that this is a psalm which is about Jesus is made explicit through the events of Easter. Easter, which of course happened at the time of Passover. And we can see that in the way that this psalm is referenced in the New Testament. And we're going to look at each of these examples. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem as king on Palm Sunday, the, the crowd quote from Psalm 118. And then when Jesus, after that, is disputing with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Jesus quotes from Psalm 118. And then after Jesus has been raised from the dead, the apostles quote Psalm 118 when they are explaining that Jesus is the only path to salvation. So this is a really important psalm. 
And it's a psalm which is really about Jesus and all that he's done. And it's really an Easter, it's a Passover, it's an Easter psalm. Now, Wednesday this week, of course, is Valentine's Day, which for me is a particularly significant moment, which I give a lot of time and attention uh, to, to making it a special day for Grace. It's always, it's always been a really important part of our annual diary. Very important, isn't it, Grace, to us? We always make a lot of it. It's also on Wednesday, the first day of Lent, the season, the period, the six weeks leading up to, to Easter. So you can, you can take your, ch- your choice on Wednesday. You can either go full Valentine's and eat nothing but chocolate all day, or you can go full Lent and eat nothing but beans and brown toast. Uh, but Wednesday Lent starts, and we have this six-week lead into Easter. And this psalm helps us. It gives us, a, gives us an Easter liturgy. Reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. And at the heart of the psalm is this confidence that God is our refuge. Jesus is our refuge. So, first of all, let's think about how Jesus is the gate. It's described there in verses 19 and 20, the gate of the Lord. Now, Christians have used verses 15 to 21 of this psalm often in funerals. It's formed part of funeral liturgies. Uh, as people are buried, often this scripture has been read. And, um, you know, it's, it's wise to consider our own mortality. It's wise to think about the reality of approaching death. I recently came across a prayer by a 19th, uh, 19th century German pastor, William Lowe, who prayed like this, So God, rule and remind me by your Holy Spirit that I may daily and frequently meditate upon the hour of my death and be momentarily prepared while I pray sincerely for a blessed departure hence. It's a daily prayer. Lord, remind me every day of the reality that I'm going to die and I pray sincerely for a blessed departure. Now, it's probably not the kind of prayer that we often pray, but actually it's, it's, it's wise. It's a a daily liturgy to remind ourselves of the certainty of death. We, we tend to live as if death will never happen, but of course death is the one thing that is absolutely certain. And the reality is that each of us is closer to it today than we were yesterday. That is the reality. And so to think about the reality of our death is wise. And sometimes things happen which bring death the smell of death much closer to us. Someone we love dies, someone close to us, something unexpected happens. I just, on Friday, heard about some friends of mine, Ben and Becky Durbin, in their 40s, lead a church in Leadville, just outside, outside St. Louis in, in the States. I'm due to be preaching there in May. And uh, last week, Becky went for a routine doctor's check and found that she had a cancerous mass in her throat. And the prognosis at the moment apparently is not looking at all good. Becky, in her 40s, because she's got four daughters. Ben and Becky leads the Bridge Church, Leadville, Missouri. Sometimes death suddenly appears in a way we don't expect. Obviously, we're praying that Becky won't die, that she'll be spared. If you think about it, I'd ask you to pray. Pray for Ben and Becky. Pray for the Bridge Church. Pray for their four daughters. But it's wise to think about the reality of our mortality. Now, Psalm 118 has often been used at burials because of the hope it expresses for the victory of life over death. There is a gate 
which the righteous enter that means that life wins. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. Those are great verses to read at a funeral. And we can see that this psalm really is about Jesus because what is described in these verses is a summary of the Easter story. We get, we get in this psalm a depiction of the cross. See how the psalmist describes himself as being surrounded by enemies and being chastened. We also get a depiction of the resurrection because the psalmist says that he was not given over to death. He's been raised to new life. Now Jesus is the one in whom we see the power of the Lord's right hand, as it's described here. Jesus is the one who who lives. Jesus passed through the gate. Jesus passed through death and into life. That's the Easter story. That's what we're going to be celebrating in six weeks' time. That's what we celebrate actually every Sunday. That's what we celebrate every day, that the Lord has passed through the gate. He's gone through the gate. He's passed through death, and he's been raised to new life. And because of Easter, Jesus has become that gate for us. And so in John, John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Isn't that a beautiful promise? If you're you're looking for pasture, come in through the gate. Come in through the gate. He is the God of refuge. We need, we need this as a, a daily liturgy, a daily coming to Jesus, a daily coming to the gate, daily coming to the one who has himself passed through the gate, passed through death and come back into life, and the one who for us now is the gate by whom we might enter into pasture, into life, into rest, into refuge. If you're feeling harried and hassled today, come again to Jesus the gate Come through into that place of refuge. Come through to that place of rest. Come through to that place of pasture. He is the gate. I think there's also a word for us here in what the psalm says. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Of course, our name is Gateway. That's a prophetic name for us. A prophetic word came that we would be a gateway to many to enter the kingdom of God. And we need to remind ourselves of our calling that we are to point people to the gate, to Jesus, that many might come through and find refuge and pasture and life in him. He is the gate. Second thing to see from this psalm is that Jesus is the cornerstone. Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The, the imagery here, the picture here is of builders sorting through stones trying to find the right one for the cornerstone, for the foundation stone, the one that is going to be able to bear the weight of the whole building. Here in uh, Dorset, you go up to the Purbex and there's lots of stone walls and the most important stones in a, st- in a stone wall, in a dry stone wall, is the foundation stones on which the wall is built and the through stones are stones which go all the way through from one side to another which lock the whole structure in place. And if you've seen guys building dry stone walls, it's an incredibly skilled and beautiful job as they do that and the dry stone walls look amazing. But selecting the right stone 
to put in the right place is key to the wall being able to stand. And those walls are amazing. No, no mortar, no cement holding them together. Just the skill of the builder and the shape of the stones locking together. Now, the builders, it says, have rejected the cornerstone that God has chosen. The one that they reject is the one that the Lord chooses. And what we have in this important statement here in this psalm, it's a, it's a picture, it's a metaphor for human rebelliousness against God. What was first played out in the garden? That moment when Adam and Eve first cho- chose to follow their way rather than to follow God's way. There is the rejection of the cornerstone that God had himself chosen. It's what we see in the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, where the people, the nations of the world, gather and say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, that story of the Tower of Babel, of the people gathering together and saying, let us build a tower to make a name for ourselves, that is the story of humanity, In our choosing to reject God's way, choosing to reject God's foundation and trying to build our own foundation and our own tower, to build our own way to heaven, constructing our own buildings on our own foundations, thinking that that will save us. That's a repeated story of the human race. And sometimes people can do that by constructing actual towers, as the people did in the story of Babel. Think about the story of Donald Trump who had a childhood dream of buying a particular plot of land in New York and building a tower. And then in 1979, at the age of 33, he managed to do the deal, buy the land and build Trump Tower, which has become the foundation of his myth, the basis on which everything else he has done has been built. That at 33, he did the deal and built the tower. It's a literal outworking of the story of Babel trying to build a tower to heaven, trying to save yourself. But all of us, in our own way, have tried to build on our own foundations, tried to build our own tower, tried to earn our way to heaven, build our way to heaven. And in doing that, the human race rejects the very thing that we should build our life upon. The stone the builders rejected to become the stone that the Lord has chosen. The builders reject the stone, but God has set the true cornerstone in place. There's a true cornerstone on which we can and should and must build our lives, a cornerstone that will never crumble. And here again is where we see that this psalm really is about Jesus. We see it in the way that Jesus applies this psalm, this phrase, directly to himself. So in Luke 20, Jesus is teaching, and he tells a parable. He tells a parable about a vineyard, that a man plants a vineyard and then goes away, and he has tenants who look after the vineyard, and then he sends representatives to gather some of the harvest, some of the fruit, some of the profits from the vineyard. And the story that Jesus tells is the tenants beat up and abuse those he sends. And in the end, the owner of the vineyard says, I'll send my son. Surely they'll listen to my son. But rather than listening to the son, they kill the son and throw him out of the vineyard. And when Jesus tells that story, the crowd reply, God forbid, God forbid that such a thing should happen. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, 
then what is the meaning of that which is written in Psalm 118? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Look, Jesus is saying, you can either do things God's way or you can build your own towers, but you will end up broken on the very thing that you seek to construct. And the extraordinary claim that Jesus makes is that he is the cornerstone. He is the one on which to build your life. He is the foundation that will endure. And anything which opposes that will in the end be broken because to reject Jesus is in the end to reject God. So the first part of our liturgy is come through the gate, come through Jesus. That's the way to come into pasture. The second part of this Easter liturgy is build our lives on the sure foundation. He's the cornerstone. So don't try and build your own way to heaven but builds on him. And then the third thing to see is that in Jesus there is blessing. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now here again we see that this psalm is about Jesus. It's an Easter psalm because this is the verse that the crowd shouts out when Jesus enters Jerusalem as king. Luke 19:38. the crowd cry out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, what is happening at that moment? As Jesus on a donkey enters Jerusalem with the crowd shouting out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. It's, it's the start of Passover week. It's the start of what we now think of as Easter week. It's the day which we now know as Palm Sunday. What we're seeing is Psalm 118 being enfleshed, that the psalm, the liturgy, is coming to life. That what is said in the psalm comes into focus in the person of Jesus Christ. Blessed is he. Blessed is Jesus. Blessed is the king. As Jesus enters the city, he's recognized for who he is. This is the cornerstone. This is the gate. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And because that is Jesus, that's who the psalm is speaking about, it explains the next place that the psalm is quoted in the New Testament. In Acts 4, we read about the Apostle Peter performing an extraordinary miracle. There's a man in his 40s who's been lame since birth. And Peter goes up to the temple and sees this man begging. And Peter looks at him and says, Silver and God, I do not have, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And this man who's been lame his whole life gets up and walks. It's an amazing miracle. And as Peter explains this to those who then gather around, he says this to them, Acts 4 verse 10, Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See what's happening here. Jesus is, Jesus is the gate to life because Jesus is the one who himself has passed through. He's the one who's been raised from the dead. And Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the only sure foundation on which to build our lives. So salvation can only be found in him. 
Now, what we are offered in Christ is, is so different, it's so extraordinary compared to any other offer that we receive from the world. The, the world is constantly telling us to build our own towers, to try and make a name for ourselves, to try and build our own way to heaven. But Jesus offers us a different way than that. So radically different. Think about, compare the way of Jesus with other messages. The, the last words of Buddha translated like this, the last, last words of Buddha, Behold, O monks, this is my advice to you. Work hard to gain your own salvation. Work hard to gain your own, own salvation. What is the Buddha saying? Build your tower. Build your tower. Try and build your way to heaven, just as the people did at Babel. Try and build your way to heaven. This is my advice to you. This is the best advice I can give. Work hard to gain your own Salvation. That is the best offer a world without God can give us. The trouble is, how do you ever know that you've worked hard enough? There's no rest that way. There's no pasture. There's no refuge. Just to keep on building, keep on working, keep on trying, trying climbing your way to heaven yourself. There's, there's no refuge there. But in Jesus, there is blessing. In Jesus, there is salvation, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. This is what we call the wonderful gift of justification, that Jesus justifies us. That because of what he's done, when we put our faith in him, when we enter through the gate, we build it on the cornerstone that is Christ, he justifies us. He, his righteousness becomes ours. His holiness becomes ours. His welcome at the Father's right hand becomes ours. His sonship becomes ours. We're adopted into the family of God. We're declared to be clean and blameless in God's sight. We're welcomed into the very courts of the king. We're brought through the gate. We stand on a cornerstone. We come into the place of refuge, of pasture of life. That's what Jesus gives us. All the world can say is, build your own tower. Work as hard as you can for your own salvation. Jesus says, no, stand on me. Come through me. Receive pasture, receive rest, receive refuge. Such a different message. Such a beautiful message. Such a redeeming message. Wow. What can mere mortals do to me? This is true for us. If we come through the gate, if we stand on the cornerstone, if we find that place of rest and pasture and refuge, what can mere mortals do to us? When I started this series a few weeks back, I said I thought the most profound summary lyric in contemporary song of the last 60 years explaining or describing our cultural atmosphere was the song America, sung by Simon and Garth Uncle in 1968, where they sing, Kathy, I'm lost, I said, though I knew she was sleeping. I'm empty and aching, and I don't know why. I don't think any other lyric so succinctly has summed up the atmosphere of our culture. I'm lost, I'm empty, I'm aching, and I don't know why. We Christians do know why. The reason why our culture feels lost, empty, and aching is because people haven't come through the gate. And they haven't built on the cornerstone. 
And so they haven't experienced God's blessing. And if what you're trying to do in life, if the way that you're trying to get through life is by building your own tower on your own foundation, whether that's Donald Trump building a literal tower, or whether it's you doing whatever it is to try and make your life seem to have some meaning and purpose, in the end it's all going to crumble. It all falls down. It's, it is empty. And we'll leave you lost and aching. Because it's only coming through the gate, standing on the cornerstone, stepping into the blessing of God. That's where we find justification. That's where we find salvation. That's where we find meaning and purpose and family and life and sins forgiven and, and, and eternity secured. As we come through the gate, we stand on the cornerstone and enter into the blessing that is ours because of all that Christ has done. God is our refuge. He's our very present help in trouble. He's the one about whom we can say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you that you have opened the way, you've opened the gate, the righteous can come through into life. Thank you that you are the cornerstone that the builders rejected, but the Lord has set in place on whom we can stand. And thank you as we do that, we enter blessing. Lord, I pray for us. I pray as we come into this Easter season, Lent beginning on Wednesday, I pray that we would have an ever-increasing awareness of what it means to be Easter people, Passover people, rescued people, redeemed people, people who stand under the covering of the God of refuge. Lord, let us not try and build our own towers, but let us trust in you. I pray that we would have this daily liturgy reminding ourselves of these things, speaking truth to ourselves about who you are and all that means for us. I pray it, Lord. I pray that in the difficult times we would be able to still be able to say that we trust you. We give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Lord, I pray that for, for, for Ben, I guess, as he gets up in his church in a couple of hours over there in the States this morning with this news about Becky. Lord, we look for your rescue. Lord, do pray for your healing for her. And Lord, those in this room who are carrying hurts and hassles and difficulties in life, Lord, I pray that they would know that in you they stand firm, that your love endures forever in every circumstance. And I pray as a community together we might demonstrate this. We stand on you, Christ our cornerstone, our wonderful refuge. What can mere mortals do to us? We thank you, Lord. Amen.